Hey, John. Sorry, it took so long to get back to you. For some bizarre reason, your legitimate job offer ended up in my spam folder. Great news about my CV. I'm so glad I slapped that bad boy on the internet. I must confess, I'm like the cut of China Jewelry Corporation's gym. Most other companies I've applied to make me jump through all sorts of hoops. You know, references, interviews, applications. Most even demand you meet face to face. Ridiculous, right? Anyway, full disclosure, Denmark is off the cards for me, for obvious reasons. And I, I don't want to use face for obvious reasons. Yours, James Beach, regional manager, China Jewelry Corporation. James, we will be transferring money into your bank account. Your job will be withdrawing the funds and transferring them using Western Union, Dominic Farm. Dominic, this sounds like a great opportunity. One thing I don't work Wednesday, for obvious reasons. Best regards, James Beach, regional manager, China Jewelry Corporation. P.S. <coughs> Does it matter that I have a criminal record? What was your crime? Embezzlement from a jewelry firm. Not that. Question. Do you provide dental insurance? Unfortunately, we do not provide dental insurance. Anything? I'll need a secretary. Is it okay if we hire my sister Louise? She's a hard worker. You can hire anybody you want at your own expense. I've gone ahead and I've hired Louise. She wants to know whether there's a dental plan. I told her there wasn't one, but she keeps on being like, I can't believe there's no dental. There is no dental. Thing is gone. Louise is actually quite hard to work with. You may have made a mistake. You must send a copy of your passport and pay a small processing fee. Dominic, fine. Dominic, this whole woman's thing isn't working out. Uh, she takes a two-hour lunch break, and frankly, I can't stand staring at her crooked teeth. If only we had supplied dental. I'm going to hire my friend Thelma instead. She has nicer teeth and is, on the whole, more reliable. Mr. Beach, you can hire anyone you want, but you must send us your passport and fee. Bad news, Dominic. Louise has gone on strike over lack of dental, and Thelma's useless. I asked her to send you my passport, and I'm nearly 100% certain she didn't do it. BH, this whole secretary thing deserves a rethink. We have not received the passport. We have many other candidates for the position of China Jewelry Corporation. You must do as we say. We're in bad shape here, though. I hereby tender my resignation. It's been a blast. James Beach, former regional manager, China Jewelry Corporation. All right, we're currently in a series called Scam a Lot. And, um, and basically, what we're doing is we're going through scriptures and we're seeing where people were scammed uh, in the Bible. The first one was, of course, uh, Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. Today, however, is in Numbers chapter 14. So if you'll turn to Numbers chapter 14, that will be, that will be absolutely incredible. A um, little background on, on what we're going to talk about today. Uh, first of all, last year when I was, I was thinking about this message or what we should cover today. Um, I, I was thinking about, you know, uh, anniversary Sunday, which, you know, we were going to talk about the land and where God was going to take us and that he'd given us the land and all that kind of stuff. And then, and then I started to think, well, where is there a place in the Bible where God has given a group of people a piece of land and what did they do with it? Or what did they do with it? Well, through that process, um, you know, I, I figured out, well, there's a group of people that were given a, a plot of land, and, and they were pretty much scammed to go into it the first time. So the reason that we're in Numbers chapter 14 is, is for that very reason. Um, we, we need to make sure that as we go forward as a church, that we keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ and, and make sure that we have our eyes open because the enemy will also be at work as well as we move forward. Now, this particular message at this point in our church's history is very easy to give. Um, uh, it's, there's, you know, excitement, and we're building, and there's a, a 40 by 41 
foot storage building going in right over here and our playground is almost done out here and there's just things moving forward and our youth area, we might have to tear down another wall if, if the youth keeps coming, which is great. I hope they keep coming on Wednesday night. And, um, and there's just some things, some things happening that are, that are pretty, pretty incredible. So it's kind of easy, but at the same time, I think it's something that we need to, as a church, be aware of as we move forward. So in uh, Numbers chapter 14, um, this is a place where the children of Israel are on the border of the promised land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it is the very place that God has brought them to out of the land of Egypt. So they have left Egypt. They have set up a tabernacle. Um, A couple of chapters earlier, Moses' leadership was challenged by none other than Miriam and Aaron, brother and sister. Um, They said that, well, doesn't God speak through us? Does he really just speak through Moses? Well, God kind of solved that problem for them. Miriam got leprosy, had to go outside of the camp, and it was a whole big deal there. Pretty interesting story, but it certified Moses' leadership. And then they make it all the way here, and so what Moses did was he listened to the people according to Deuteronomy, listen to people, and he sent 12 spies into the land, and they were gone for 40 days. The 40-day trip, a journey into the promised land to see what it's about. So they came back, and they gave their report, and um, this, is, this is kind of the end result of that report. Look at chapter 14, verse 36, and it says this, and the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land. The men who brought up a bad report of the land died by plague before the Lord. So here's a group of men, 10 of them, And the key phrase here, and the men whom Moses sent to spout the land, who returned and made, convinced, moved, pushed the people, all the congregation, to grumble against him, that is Moses, by bringing up a bad report about it. So 10 men scammed a whole nation toward a decision to not follow God, and to follow themselves instead. Ten leaders that were trusted scammed a whole nation to go in a different direction than God wanted them to go into. Ten people. So the question is, how did they do that? How did they make them? How did they make them um, change their direction? How did they do that? Well, in verse 36, it says, And the men whom Moses sent to spout the land, who returned, made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report of the land. I want you to look just right over in chapter 14, and we'll read verses 1 through, through 4, and this is what basically they said. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night because of this bad report. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, would that we have died in the land of Egypt. We were better off in the past. The good old days just look really good right now. 
where we were in Egypt? Or would we have died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back, go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader to go back to Egypt. Now skip down to verses 26 and 27 of that same passage that says, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. How did they do it? They created an environment of murmuring and grumbling. That's what they did. Now, I don't know what happened in the 40 days. So what I'm about to tell you is my imagination. It's not in the Bible, okay? Is everybody cool with that? Um, I, I know how camping trips go. I've been on a few of them in my lifetime. I was a Boy Scout until um, I got my second class something, and then you had to swim, and then I decided that just wasn't for me because I didn't know how to swim. So I just thought maybe it'd be time for me to get out of Boy Scouts because I'd, I'd have to swim. So nonetheless, I got, out of, I got out of Boy Scouts. But nonetheless, I've been on my fair share of, of camping trips, both at Ocean Lakes Campground in, in campers and all that kind of stuff, and also in the woods at night with bears and, and spiders and all kinds of stuff like that. I've been on my share of, of camping trips. And you build a fire, right? And if it's a group of guys, you, you sit around that fire. I'm sure women do this too. I'm just saying my experience. I never really went camping when I was, you know, a teenager with girls. Although, you know, I wasn't against it, but my parents were. So um, you... you um, you kind of built, built the camp, campsite around there, and you're sitting there talking, and you talk to each other. So I visualize, like, these guys going through the land, right? And, and there's 12 of them sitting there, and they're sitting around the campfire, and one of them says, you know what, this, this land right here, man, it's, it's got a lot of stuff. It has fruit, and, and, the, and milk and honey is, is just amazingly uh, predominant in this land, and um, this is a good land, but, man, these people are big. I mean, these cities are very fortified, and I'm not really sure if, if we could actually take this land. And so the conversation around that campfire that night was about if the children of Israel could actually fight the war and go into the land and take it over. We don't have the resources. We don't have the finances. We don't have the, the, um, the, the stuff that these people do. They're in chariots. We just have swords. They, they have this. We don't have that. They have nuclear weapons. We have you know, just sticks and, and stuff like that. I mean, I'm not really sure how we're going to be able to take this over. And I don't think this is a good idea. I think Moses is off his rocker. And so they might have had that conversation around a campfire. And you can see Caleb and Joshua saying, but wait a minute, we've got God. And, and I think we, we can take this land. And so they're, they're for God, right? They're saying, yeah, I think we can take this land. But 10 voices are always louder than two. And so they made, it, they made it back, and when they came in, they didn't have a meeting right away. Moses call, calls a, called a meeting for the whole group a little bit later, so they made it back, so they made it home. Well, honey, how did your trip go? Oh, the land is absolutely incredible, but man, we are going to get torn up. They, they are going to wipe us out. It's going to be like um, uh, Duke college basketball team uh, playing the peewee team in town in basketball. I mean, they're, they're going to absolutely crush us. We are going to die. And Moses has lost his mind. 
And Aaron has lost his mind. And I'll tell you something else, honey. Um, there's these two men, and I know that you know them. It's Caleb and Joshua. You know, Joshua, who is Moses' favorite person. Of course, he's with Moses, right? But Caleb, man, he's, he's, he's drank the Kool-Aid. And he thinks that we can go into the land, and he thinks that we can, we can do this. But I'm telling you right now, we can't do this, so we, we just can't do it. And so that kind of spread throughout the congregation, and all of a sudden, you have grumbling before the meeting. Well, let me tell you something. It hasn't happened at this church, but that's how it happens at churches. Come on. I don't always know what's said, but I know it happens at churches. People talk before the business meeting, and then you have a, you have a throw-down fight type, you know, let's go at it right in the sanctuary, which is very godly. Um, just throwing that out there, Right? And so they talked about it, and they came to this meeting, and so the 10 people stood up before the congregation, and they said, man, this land, it is, it is uh, very fruitful, it's flowing with honey, it's flowing with milk. And I always stop at that phrase, flowing with milk. I mean, did the cows have a problem keeping it inside of it? I mean, what, what was, you know, I would like to have a group of cows that every morning you just got to just stick up underneath there and get your milk. You don't have to do all the work. Flowing with milk and honey. And, and it's just a wonderful place. The grass is green and the cities are awesome, but they are big. In fact, there's some giants there. Uh, the Nephilim are there who are huge people and I don't know how we're going to take those down and the cities are well fortified and we cannot do this. They had already stirred up the congregation toward that, that way and there was just a sense of a negative feeling and they were grumbling, they were weeping that night before this meeting because they knew. Are you, are you tracking with me? And so 10 people who had been scammed by the evil one, scammed the whole nation into not going into the promised land. The question is, why in the world is the promised land so important to Satan? I'll tell you why. God in his sovereignty chose the Jewish people for his son Jesus Christ to be born there. And the reason he chose the people is because he didn't want you and I to miss him. So he chose the Jewish race, and then he wrote in the Bible, I have chosen the Jewish race, and that is where Jesus Christ is going to come from. It's not going to come from the Greeks. It's not going to come from the Persians. It's not going to come from the Caucasians. It's not going to come from the white people, which I'm not really sure how that's a race. But nonetheless, the white people, it's not going to come from them. It is going to not come, going to come from Africa. It's not going to come from here. It's going to come from a little piece of property, and he's going to be born there, and he's going to be raised, and he's going to be the King of kings and Lord, Lord of Lords and he is going to set up his kingdom. And so Satan did not want that to happen. So what's the best way for that not to happen? Let's convince the people not to take the land. You with me? And if we convince them not to take the land, maybe we can prevent this from happening, God's will from happening. So the ten were deceived by Satan, the same person that deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. And then they deceived a whole nation. And they did it very well. How many of you today, if I was to tell you, and this is just a scenario, that tomorrow, the school that your children go to, there's going to be a major problem there, and your children should not go. How many of you would let your children go? Right. So safety and death, and we can't win 
was how they created this murmuring and grumbling, this murmuring and grumbling. If someone is murmuring, they do not have faith. If someone is grumbling, they do not have faith. There is never a place in Scripture where murmuring or grumbling is uh, spoken of as faith. Jesus never said, hey, if you grumble a lot, you will show your faith to the world. Jesus never said, if you, if you murmur a lot, you will show your faith to the world. Jesus has never said, if you complain a lot, you will show your faith to the world. No, it's the opposite, isn't it? Murmuring and grumbling never does anything, but man, it's infectious, and it gets in people's hearts, and people will believe something that's negative before they will believe something that's positive. In fact, in a moment's notice, you can say something negative and it will literally take over everything positive that has ever happened in a particular location. It will just take over and kill it. And nobody will remember the positive. They will only dwell on the negative. So they created an environment of murmuring and grumbling. Next, they delivered a bad report. So first they stirred up the people and then they delivered a bad report. A bad report about the land. Now, let me show you what they said. I, I kind of already gave it away a little bit, but this is what they said about it. It's fruitful. It flows with milk. It flows with honey. The people are strong. The cities are large and fortified. There are giants, not from New York, but they're there, and several nations with armies. Okay? Several nations with armies. This is the truth, isn't it? It's the truth. See, faith isn't ignoring the truth. These guys are big. These cities are well fortified. Just because you have faith doesn't necessarily mean you have to believe something that's false. It's just how you look at it. Fruit flows with milk and honey. And they took this and they twisted it and they made a bad report. They took the facts and twisted it to what they wanted. What they wanted. It's precisely what happened in the garden, isn't it? With Satan, he twisted the facts to get what he wanted. If he could get the human race to fall, he could deliver a defeat to God who created the universe if he could just twist it. And so they were scammed. They were scammed with the truth. You and I need to be careful that we do not allow people to take something that's true and twist it in their direction to scam us into thinking something that we shouldn't be thinking or feeling or doing. It's very difficult to see through all of that. So, yeah, they delivered a bad report. Next screen. It said it's impossible. This is a stupid direction. Right? I know we've never heard that before, right? This is a stupid direction. There's no way that we could accomplish this. This is no way, this is impossible. I don't know what that guy is thinking, but there is no way that we're going to be able to do that. This is absolutely impossible. Who does, who does he think he is? Who does she think he, she is? How do they even think we're going to accomplish that? This is impossible. This is a stupid decision, and nobody wants to be stupid. Right? Nobody wants to be stupid. So, so you're not going to go, oh, that's a stupid direction. Oh, I don't really don't want to be a part of that because I don't want to be stupid. I don't want to be thought of as stupid. I don't want to be thought of as smart. 
and intelligent. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is, O fool, be silent, because for you it would be wisdom. Don't open your mouth, in other words, and say anything, because for you that would be wisdom. Um, But nonetheless, it's stupid. It's stupid direction. Next screen. They led them in the opposite direction of their leader. Um, Look. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, I'm gonna, I just need to say this, clarify this. Sometimes leaders go in the wrong direction. We have 10 of them here that go in the wrong direction, right? And then you have about four leaders. We could debate on Moses and Aaron, more on Aaron than Moses. It, they were going in the right direction. But sometimes leaders don't go in the right direction. Sometimes you don't need to follow the 10, you need to follow the four. Sometimes people do not choose the right leaders to get in behind, Sometimes they, they believe the twist and they believe all the stuff that has been said that is basically twisting them and scamming them and they go in a different direction and when they do, they go against what God really wants for them and in a church situation, what God really wants for a church. You have to follow godly people. But the group is not always right. Right? The group is not always right. And the leaders aren't always right. But in this passage, they are not always right. So the people talked against Moses. And, and man, they, they were just in big. So 10 people, I think this is next, used their influence to scam a nation into not following God. It's crazy, but maybe not that crazy. Um. It it is so easy to believe the negative, isn't it? it? It is so easy to have somebody that you've known for years, something negative to be said about them, and you believe that above all your experience with them for the last 10 years, for the last 20 years. It is so easy to grab a hold of, I cannot believe they did that. Well, maybe you're not supposed to believe that they did that. Maybe there's another explanation, right? Maybe maybe there's something else going on. Maybe the friend that you've had for 10, 15, 20 years, the person that you've known that you've trusted, is really the same person. It's just being twisted in a way to get you to be against that particular person. Maybe you are the person that things are being twisted against, and you see this in your own life. This is a very difficult truth, isn't it? And Satan, when he scams us, is very good at what he does. He's very good at what he does. Very good. So, God, as a result of this, shows up. Look at verse 9 of chapter 14. This is what it says. This is Moses talking. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. That's Caleb, actually. 
Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me, and how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make you of a great nation, greater and mightier than they. I am done, God says, with them. So what does Moses do? Lord, that is a great idea. That is exactly what I was thinking. Let's just go ahead and wipe them off and you just created a nation out of me, right? Is that what he does? No, it's not what he does. He falls on his knees and he pleads for his people that God will not judge them in that way. So what happens After that prayer in verse 20, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me, followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Here is an, a very sobering truth. Your choices can determine whether or not you live out God's best for your life or God's second best for your life. Your choices. We do not like to talk about this. We do not like to talk about this. But it is true. Let me show you some pros and cons of this. The pros for them were they were forgiven. That's great. I'm going to pardon them. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to let them live. That's good. That's a pro. Here's a con. Can't go into the promised land. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Um, but I'm forgiven, but you can't go into the promised land. But that means you haven't forgiven me. God says, no, I've forgiven you. You can't go into the promised land there are consequences for choices that you can't get around. There are some things that you choose to do in this life that there's no way that you can get around them. You have changed the playing field. You have changed where you can live and you can't go into the promised land. You cannot achieve God's best for your life. It's sobering. The the pro is God is gracious and he forgave you and he's not gonna hold it against you when you stand before him one day. But in this particular life, he can't let you go into the promised land. He can't let you do that. If I was to have an affair, which I'm not planning to, okay, I would then enter into an arena for the second best in my life. I could no longer be a pastor. According to 1 Timothy, I can't be a pastor if I do that, right? I would have to step down. I would at that particular point go against what God really wanted as the best for me, and I would start standing in a different arena, an arena that would be filled with hardships, but I would be pardoned and forgiven for that sin, but I would still have to live 
at a different level in this life than God intended. You, you track it. There are certain sins that you choose to do that causes you not to be able to be the best you can be for God or get God's best for you. You have to live in the second best sort of arena. It's just the way it is. Forgiveness has nothing to do with consequences. It has everything to do with God's judgment not being um, on you and his anger not being on you. But once you make some decisions, you're in that decision, and that's where you're going to live. So the pro is you're forgiven, but the con is I can't go into the promised land. Here's the next one. You're still God's people. Children of Israel is still God's people. I don't know if I'd been God, I might abandon them, right? <laughs> I'm just, you know, that's one of the things I have to work on. Somebody makes me upset, and I just kind of, okay, you know? And then, you know, the Holy Spirit. It's kind of irritating sometimes. <laughs> so then you have to go back. But you're, you're still God's people, so that, that's a probe. But here's the con. You can't achieve what God intended for them to achieve with their lives. How is that different than can't go into the promised land? I think it's sad to be, a little bit sad to be in the second best plan that God had for you and knowing that you could have been something more if you hadn't have made that choice. I think that's something that, that some people live with in their life. It's a very difficult thing to live with. The pro is you're still God's people. He still loves you. You're still going to heaven. But the, the con is, man, he, God intended so much more. But this is just where you are. Here's the next one. They will still, still receive grace and blessings from God. In the wilderness, they still receive food. They still receive protection. They still went into battle and won those battles. They still lived. They still had things. They still had the temple. I mean, there was blessings that God gave them, even though they were living at the second best of existence. God still blessed them because he still cared. But the con is this. They will live a second best life. Even when you're blessed, you know, man, I could have been something more, but I'm really thankful that God is still blessing me here. Um, I, I, I've, um, I, don't, I don't really counsel much, much anymore. There, there are reasons for that. Um, at least, not because I don't care, but just because, one, I think sometimes people just need someone else, and someone else can really help them better than I can. Um, I'm really good at strategy and putting you on a system to get to where you need to go. That's what I'm good at, okay? It's not that I don't care about people. It's just that that's what I'm good at. And I can put you on a road to health and toward God, and I will do that and do anything I can and get you the right counselor and all that kinds of stuff. Um, but you don't, want, you don't necessarily want me to, to counsel you a long period of time. I go to counseling myself, okay? So, so that's, that's the deal. However, I have counseled people before, look, look, you, you really need to work this out between your spouse. You really, you really need to work this out. And I know sometimes that people can't work it out and people don't listen. But as soon as they, they don't listen and they go in, into the different direction, it changes things and you can't go back. And God loves people. He loves people that are placed in situations that had nothing to do with them and their spouse did something that maybe they shouldn't have done and, well, they shouldn't have done and it just changed things for them. Um, that person, okay, let me, let me just slow down here because I need to be clear. 
If you're in a situation where your spouse committed adultery, you can still achieve God's best for your life. You still can. You still can. You did nothing wrong. Now, are you affected by that choice? The answer to that question is absolutely yes, you are affected by that court, that choice. And there's a certain, certain playing field that you have to play in, but that does not mean that God has written you off. You have done correctly, and God's going to honor that, and he's going to bless you. You might not feel blessed right now, but he's going to bless you in the future. Okay, laying that aside. I have talked to people before telling them not to separate. The reason they were going to separate was because, basically, I'm not going to tell you the reason, uh, he burnt the toast and she can't make up a bed. Okay? Just, just something absolutely ridiculous. Now, it meant a lot to them. Okay? I'm not telling you the exact issue, but it was basically that, that fruitful. If you do this, this is not God's will. They got the divorce. You wouldn't know them. Anyway, they got the divorce, right? So, then they begin posting on Facebook, they found somebody new, and God was blessing them with someone new. Um, okay, but you're currently living the second best. Are you tracking? The kids are doing this. They're really achieving in school. I'm really proud. Trying to prove that their decision was the correct one. Are you, are you tracking with me? I would have to say, yeah, you're being blessed, but you're living at second best. God will bless you when you make a wrong decision. But you cannot achieve God's best for your life. Is everybody with me today? I know this is kind of heavy. So they will still receive the grace and blessings from God, and it will look like you can be scammed with the blessings of God to think God is okay with this, when all along he's really not okay with this. He's just not okay. He wanted something more for you, and you chose to go in a different direction. They will live a second best life. Now, next screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29, verse 27, it says this. Paul says, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We can disqualify ourselves from being effective for God. We can. And we need to make sure that we live lives that doesn't disqualify us from serving our Savior. That doesn't make people in the community look at us and like, well, if that's what a Christian is, they're no different than me. We need to make sure that we live our lives in such a way that we're not disqualified from serving God. Yeah. So, next screen. So what do you do? Well, I'll tell you what you do. Look at verse 30 of chapter 13. It says this. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. What do you, what do, you do? 
You keep your faith and your trust in the Lord. That's what you do. Chapter 14, verse 6. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of who were among those who had spied out the land, at that moment I could not say his name, okay? Yeah. And tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. What do you do? You keep following God even when it doesn't make sense. Caleb was not an idiot. Joshua was not an idiot. They recognized the stuff that may not be able to, that is impossible, that you might not be able to overcome, but they knew this, God would be able to overcome it because he promised the land to them. We sit here on the threshold of 11 acres of property that God gave us just last year. There's, there's movement toward that land, and that means that God has something planned for this, for this church in this location. There's some sort of growth. There's something that's going to be happening. There's something in the future as we go toward that. We have to trust God. So May, I think the church brought in $13,000 in May. We need 22 a month to keep the lights on. We can skim by with 18 with some cuts here and there that we've done in the past, but nonetheless, you know, it's 18 to 22, right? We made it into June. June was a great month. July, not so much. July, I think we brought in 11, and in um, August, I think we brought in around 13. We're heading toward Anniversary Sunday. The money isn't coming in, and I'm starting to think that maybe we have to kill ministry in order to keep the lights on, in order to um, make the church, you know, payment each month. Maybe there's some cutbacks that I'm going to need to do in order to keep the thing afloat and keep us going forward. I'm not really sure where the money is. I don't know why people were not giving. I don't know what had happened during that time or, or nothing like that. However, this is what I do know. God has promised to, to supply the needs of his people. God has a plan for this church. How can we build a building when... There's some, there's some offering stuff happening that's kind of weird. Well, because God provided the money for the building at the time that we needed it, at the exact time. How can we build a play area? Well, God provided that money for that play area at the time that we needed it. Faith is looking at things and not necessarily looking at the numbers, but looking at the God who's doing something. And if you always look at the God that's doing something and try to follow him every step of the way, He's going to provide for that need. And sometimes it's in the ninth hour. 
Sometimes it's right up at the threshold and you're wondering, what in the world are we going to do? And he provides in the ninth hour. Do we want him to supply a little bit earlier? Yes. Oh, please, for, for Pete's sake. Just a little earlier every now and then would be great. You know, be awesome. But then if he did that all the time, how often would you pray? How often would you get on your knees? How often would you beseech his throne and remind him that he's supposed to supply the needs of his church and his people? I mean, how, how often would you reach out to them and actually depend on him? It's in this passage of Scripture, the, the, the ten people were looking horizontally at everything. We can't do this horizontally. We can't overcome this horizontally. Here's all these people and all this stuff. There was only four people looking at God to say, hey, I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to do it. I don't know how he's going to let us take the land, but he's going to let us take the land. And by faith, they were looking up and not like this. This is a lack of faith. Looking up to God is faith in him that he will supply. Do these two things have to work together? No. There has to be some logic in some decisions that you make, right? But when God gives a direction, you go for it. And you look up. Not like this. Anytime people start looking horizontally at things, like this, is the moment that grumbling and murmuring and complaining and we can't do it seeps in. But when you look up to God... And you know he has a plan and he's doing something. That is the moment that everything changes. And you trust his timing and you trust what he's doing and you go with that. So, out of everybody in the, in the scripture today that I would want to be like, I'd want to be like Caleb and Joshua. I just want to be like them. I keep my eyes focused on God and moving forward, and I think everybody in this room has the same sentiment. If you're walking out of here today saying, man, I just want to be like the 10 spies, God help you. <laughs> God help you. Let's pray.